Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. Would you uh, would you mind standing with me tonight? We're gonna go quickly to the book of Hebrews, chapter four, verse fourteen. This is a beautiful looking crowd tonight. You guys should give yourselves a, a round of applause. <laughs> I uh, I want to give honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, you know, this, this afternoon in prayer, I felt the need to tell the Lord how unworthy I felt to be in this position, in this place. And uh, he felt the need to remind me that I'm not here because I deserve to be here. I'm here because he got up. And what God did for me, he can do for you. There's nothing uh, stopping you from following your calling and accepting that and, and being where God wants you to be. Give honor also to our pastor. Thankful for our pastor. Amen. I, I'm grateful. When, I, when we're sitting in the gym because there's renovations being done and uh, it's just great to see the vision and everything that's happening. And I give great, great honor to him. Amen. Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 14 says, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Verse 15, I, I really want to focus in on tonight. So it says, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling. Can you say feeling? With the feeling of our infirmities. But was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen. Tonight I want to minister uh, for just a, the next few minutes from a very simple thought. Are you in your feelings? Amen. Are you in your feelings. We'll elaborate on that in just a moment. Could you help me pray? Father, in the name of Jesus, we're so grateful that you would prepare this place for us. We're glad, so very honored to have you, the guest of honor among us. Thankful that your power is still real. Thankful that we can feel your presence. We appreciate the fact that you would make it a priority to be in our lives, that you loved us, Lord. When we were unlovable, that you looked for us, God, when everybody else had abandoned us. We're grateful, grateful for the privilege to be in your house. It's a privilege to be here, God. I thank you so much. I pray that you hide me behind your cross tonight, that you would minister through me to your people, Lord God. Stop me from saying anything that doesn't need to be said and deliver only the word that you want delivered. I pray that every heart mind open to receive your word tonight. Lord, we give you honor, glory, and praise. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. One of the, the benefits and subsequent maladies of working in youth ministry is getting to learn all the new catchphrases and lingo they use nowadays. 
I believe that it is very important that we understand what our young people are trying to get across when they use certain phrases. I, I do believe that we have to have our finger on the pulse of this generation. But I'll admit to you that up until youth camp last year, I, I was really quite ignorant as to what some of the, the jargon they were using meant. Thankfully, when you're at youth camp, there are a lot of young people that are willing to fill you in. So I sat down with my notepad, my digital device, and I began just to take some notes on what some of these words and phrases meant. For, for instance, let me, let me just help a, a father or mother with a young person in the room tonight. If your young person gets up from the dinner table and says, Mom, that was bussin'. That means that dinner was really good. If someone in the crowd inadvertently yells out, that's cap, it means that a, a lie was just told. On the contrary, if they yell no cap, that means that the aforementioned statement was, in fact, true. If your teenager says, I'm dead, there is no need to dial 911. It just means that they were extremely amused by something. This generation, like any other, has their own slang they use to place emphasis on certain things, but... One of the phrases that became popular several years back was or is, why you in your feelings? That's right. Not, not why are you, but why you in your feelings? And what is, is, is being implied is that someone had a very strong emotional reaction to something based on the way that it made them feel. Regardless of whether or not the thing that happened or was spoken was inherently true, the emphasis was placed simply on the way that it made them feel. And I really began to look at this from a spiritual perspective because I believe that it speaks to the climate of our current culture. We live in a, a culture that judges and, and validates everything from one moment to the next, depending on how it makes them feel at that particular time. The society we live in is constantly riding this, this roller coaster wave of emotions. Now, I want to be clear tonight that we are emotional people God designed us to be emotional if God did not want us to be emotional he would have not given us emotions I'm glad that I can feel something my spidey senses start to to go off when something doesn't feel quite right when there's a situation that I need to take a step back from thank God that I can feel when something isn't quite right. And, 
And I'm even more grateful that I can feel the presence of God when we come into a place like this. And and every worry, everything that is crowding my mind and demanding my attention begins to bow when the presence of God enters into the room. Anybody thankful for the presence of God? But I have to be honest in telling you that we are not supposed to be led around exclusively by what we are feeling. We're not called to be led around simply by our emotions. If you, if you study, you'll find that in Scripture the word heart, oftentimes it refers to your, your feelings or your emotions. And Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9 says the heart is, is deceitful above all things and, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The Lord speaks out from eternity. He says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. The reason that it's so dangerous to follow your heart, or in other words, to be led around by the emotions that you are feeling, is because what you are feeling or not feeling does not always project the reality of what is really taking place. Let me give you an example. When God fills you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, it is the most dynamic experience you will ever go through in your entire life. The moment that it happens, it begins to affect you spiritually. Naturally, your tongue begins to to speak in another language as the Spirit gives the utterance. It's the sign that the Holy Ghost has entered into you. So naturally, it affects you. Psychologically, some things begin to happen in your mind. And emotionally, maybe the tears began to fall. And when you get this feeling, it is unlike anything that you have ever experienced in your entire life. Can somebody testify tonight of how amazing it is to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost? But if we fail to realize that the Holy Ghost is so much more than just a feeling. The Holy Ghost is more than just goosebumps when the music is playing. It's more than just tears on a Sunday morning altar call. And if we fail to recognize this, then we'll begin to question our our, uh, experience the moment that the feelings start to subside. It used to, to blow my mind. I would bring people that I worked with to church. They'd get the Holy Ghost. They'd get, get baptized. And then they would leave and they'd never come back to church. And it would blow my mind. I couldn't understand. They got the same experience that I had. And it changed my life completely. But what happens is you leave church. And the feelings start to wane. And you begin trying to rationalize in what happened in your mind. And eventually what can happen is you can build this stronghold up in your mind that says it must not have really happened because I'm not feeling it anymore. That's the feeling, but here's the reality. God said in Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you or forsake you. 
He said, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. God said in Romans eleven twenty nine, 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. You cannot lose it. That means that even when I don't feel him, he's moving. And even when I can't see him, he's moving. He never stops, never stops moving. When, he doesn't feel, when you don't feel him, it doesn't mean that he has abandoned you. What we do not feel does not always project the reality of what is truly happening. Our feelings have the tendency to play tricks on us. I'll give you another example. The Bible says in Ephesians 6.12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And, And Paul tells us that the way that we combat this attack is to put on the full armor of God. And he sums it all up with this. Ephesians 6.16, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. That word darts in the original Greek, it's bellows. And it literally means a missile, dart, spear, or arrow i.e. something that is projected at a target. In other words, what the apostle is saying is that spirits are projectors. And the enemy is projecting these spirits almost constantly. These these spirits were being bombarded by lust and and pride and anxiety and, and fear and hopelessness, suicide, depression. Maybe you felt it and he's projecting these things in your direction and we're being bombarded by these spirits that are causing us to feel a certain way and we begin to feel these emotions attached to these spirits and we have to understand that what we feel does not always match the reality. The reality is that you are under attack by something that you have the authority and the Holy Ghost to dispel in Jesus' name. We took our opening text from the book of Hebrews, and if you follow your Bible in the Old Testament, the children of Israel, they had a a high priest that they would look to for direction. When they were in trouble, they went looking for someone that could Give them a word from the Lord. They had to rely in large part on somebody else's relationship with God because not just anybody could just walk into the tabernacle. But when Jesus died and the veil was torn from the top to the bottom, it gave the common folk in the world the ability to make entrance into the throne room. I'm so glad that when I was deep down in the muck and the mire, when I was so low in my sin that I could not reach heaven, somebody sent heaven down to me. That's why Jesus, he told the disciples, and I'm paraphrasing, he said, I know that you're sad that I'm going away. He said, but it's better if I go away and I leave because I'm sending you back something that you cannot live without. And now, because of the Holy Ghost, we have an advantage over the enemy that we did not have in our flesh alone. 
Listen, you, you don't have to just sit back and take everything that the devil is shooting in your direction. You don't have to cave under the pressure of the demonic influences of the world that we live in. We have everything that we need to be able to live for God. Saints, you can do it. You can run this race. You can make it. You've got more than enough. And Hebrews 4.15, it, it's one of, to me, it's one of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture. If, if the media team could just, hey man, look at that. Just put it up there and leave it for the next few moments. I love you guys. Always on top of it. And give a hand. Let's give a round of applause for our media team. But it's, it's one of the most powerful verses in the Bible. It says, for, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the, the feeling. Can you say feeling again? With the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like us. We are yet without sin. You know, it, it's a lot easier. All of the military folk in the room would probably agree it's a lot easier to follow someone that is willing to get down in the trenches with you. When I was in the Air Force, we would be out on the flight line pushing cargo pallets sometimes for, for 12 hours a day. And uh, in temperatures as hot as 140 degrees, I've been pushing cargo in. And, and, and it was a lot easier to follow the leader that would get out there and push with you than it was to follow the one that simply sat behind a desk in an office just pointing the finger. Brother Wilson, it's a lot easier to get down into a foxhole if I know that either you're going to get down there with me or you've already done it before. And when I go looking for advice, the best advice that I can get comes from someone who passed through the fire without failure. I believe I can learn a lesson from someone that has been married six or seven times. I do believe that. But if I want advice on how to make the marriage with my beautiful life last for 50 years plus, I'm going to go find somebody that's been married 50 years and let them tell me how they did it. And we can have faith in the midst of frailty. In the midst of disease, in the midst of human limitation, in the midst of persecution, because we have a God that allowed himself to be subjected to everything that we could possibly ever go through without compromising when he felt the pressure of the infirmity on the limitations of his humanity. Those words, they're feeling of. Can you say feeling again? Those words feeling of, they come from the Greek word sympatheo, and it's where our, our English word sympathy is derived from. But it literally means to be affected with the same feeling as another as to sympathize with. If you notice, it says that Jesus is touched with the, the feeling of our infirmities. That word in infirmities, it's referring to the, 
the feebleness of our bodies and, and minds, the, the maladies and, and moral frailties we're subjected to, whether it's disease or, or sickness or weakness, basically anything that you could think of that you could possibly go through while you're living in human flesh. But here's the thing that as I studied this passage that God really spoke to my heart and brought to life, it, it seems that the focus is not really so much on the infirmities as it is with the feeling of the infirmities. I really want to help somebody tonight. It's not just what you are going through, but how it makes you feel that he sympathizes with. It's the feeling of our infirmities. And, and could it be that God is more concerned with how we respond to what we are going through than he is with what we are actually going through? Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that God doesn't care when you get sick. He does. I'm not saying that when you're facing a trial, he's... He's not moved by it. But what I'm saying is, think about it this way. Let's say that the infirmity that I am dealing with is an illness that could turn terminal. In that moment, the worst possible thing that could happen to me is that the illness could kill my body. But if I allow what I am feeling in the midst of my infirmity to make me bitter with God and other people, now it becomes an issue not only of the body but an issue of the soul. You see, the infirmity itself, it has natural limitations. But how we respond to the way that it makes us feel can echo into eternity. The Bible says that Jesus, he was led into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, he was led there, by the way, by the Spirit. And there he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, Matthew 4, 2. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. Now, I have never fasted for 40 days. But I know how I feel after going three days without anything to eat. Your flesh, it starts to, to rise up. My wife comes to me messing with me when I've been fasting a few days. Throwing the, throwing the gloves off. The infirmity was the fact that Jesus was dealing with human limitations that he had subjected himself to by fasting 40 days. But what he was feeling was hunger pains. And the Bible says that in the middle of all of this, when his flesh was at its absolute weakest point, the devil shows up. Satan shows up trying to convince him to, to trick him into responding unwisely to what he was feeling. And the reason that Jesus is able to help you overcome temptation is because when he was tempted, he did not sin. He didn't allow what he felt in a moment of weakness 
to compromise the eternal plan that he had for humanity. Our emotions can lead us into doing some crazy things. Especially when we're going through something. Anybody ever went through something that can testify that to be true? There's a, there's a movement that it originated back in the 70s, but it has become increasingly prevalent today, and it's called the, the New Age Movement. Heard of that? Wave your hand if you have. And it's a movement with very demonic roots that is centered around, centered around and, and it appeals to the feelings of individuals. It's a movement that has begun to work its way into mainstream media. It's so prevalent in our culture and yes, it's even in churches. But the doctrine of this movement, this is what it teaches in principle. It teaches people to get to a place where they believe that they are God and only they themselves have the ability to enhance their lives. It is so dangerous to follow what we feel because what we feel is not telling the whole story so brother jet how do i overcome the temptation to give into my flesh when everything i know to be true is contrary to what i'm feeling galatians 5:16 this i say then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh that's the reason that our greatest priority, if you're not a believer, if you're a believer without the Holy Ghost, is to get the Holy Ghost because you cannot make it through life if you don't have something that you can walk in the, the Spirit. Never before has there been a time that we've needed the wisdom and the guidance of the Holy Ghost than right now. We've got to learn to respond in the Holy Ghost during the times when our flesh is subjected to moments of weakness because it's not what I feel, it's what I know. Psalm 46.10, it says, be still and know that I'm God. I'm closing, if you would stand with me. The story of of Job is one of the most peculiar in all of the Bible. It's one of those that you read and it begins to overwhelm you. You feel all of these emotions that this man is going through. And the Bible teaches that when Job was at his lowest point, when he had lost his children, when he had lost his livestock, he had boils all over his body, when those that were closest to him had rejected him and walked away I can imagine that he was in a place that Job probably could not hear the voice of God. In the middle of his situation, I'm sure that Job wasn't seeing God. I'm sure that when Job was scratching the boils on his body and dealing with tremendous loss, that he probably wasn't in a place where he could could feel the presence of God. But, but Job 19.25 records Job's response to what he was feeling in the middle of his infirmity. This is what he said. He said, for I 
No. I know that my Redeemer lives. When I cannot see him. Come on. When my infirmity begins to drown out his voice. When my circumstance does not allow me to feel him, I've got to come to a place that I know, that I know, that I know, that I know, that I know that he is still there with me. And tonight, this is, this is what I feel. I don't know if the musicians can come and hopefully, if not, we can play something. That's fine. Or we don't even need music. That's okay, too. But this is what I, I feel. I felt it strongly at about 5 o'clock this afternoon. There are, there are precious people that are sitting in this room tonight that either have gone or you are currently going through things that some of us could not imagine. Things that maybe you lie awake at night crying over and thinking nobody understands what I'm going through. Nobody can relate. They don't know what I'm feeling and keeps you awake at night. It causes stress and anxiety in your life. It causes feelings to, to overwhelm you. And these things are, are driving you crazy. And things that you've been dealing with that maybe they've torn a piece out of your life. And things that weren't your fault. And they've caused you begin to begin to, to feel a, a certain way that, if we're honest, has become damaging to our relationship with God. And I, I really feel in the Holy Ghost tonight that God wants to begin the process of restoration in some people's life here that have walked through the fire and it's left them marred and it's caused them to be bitter and I believe that God wants to heal tonight and, and I believe that I heard from the Holy Ghost that he's ready to give somebody's life back tonight. Somebody that the enemy has stolen everything away from you. God is getting ready to restore. And, and if that's you tonight, I don't want you to give an opportunity for the devil to convince you not to step forward. I promise there's no, no judgment here. But I pray tonight, I, I'll meet you here. There are things in my life that I'm, if I'm honest, I deal with that, that if I'm not careful, I can become bitter about. I can become angry with God. And that's okay, but what God wants is us just to be honest. Just to come and say, God, I, you know, I, I feel a certain way right now. There are things that have happened in my life that I don't understand. Why did you allow this to happen to me, why did you take my child? Why did you allow me to become stricken with this disease? Why have you kept from me what you promised? And tonight, I'm calling you out. He's calling you out. Let him deal with the feelings that are robbing you of the plan he has for your life. Tonight, if that's you, would you step out tonight and let's, let's pray together. Come on, God is waiting to heal you. God wants to restore you. 